You're listening to The Voice of Dog. I'm Kaki, your faithful fireside companion, and today's story is At the Inn, Whitewash, by friend of the fireplace Metasis, featuring the adventures of Brontes, a gruff minotaur who previously appeared in the story At the Inn, also featured on The Voice of Dog. Based in the wild west of Ireland, Metasis started writing some time back as part of the Thursday Prompt Group on Fur Affinity. His work has appeared in the Anthrocon magazine, in Fang Volume 4, and occasionally on his printer by mistake. He is particularly keen on word-limited microfiction, calling them 365-word tales. At some point he'll have 365 of them and consider his work on Earth done. You can read his writings and view his photography on furaffinity.net or on metasis.com. Please enjoy At the Inn, Whitewash, by Metasis. Another day, another drama. My head is still spinning after the events of yesterday, even after a half-dozen hot toddies, a good night's sleep and a full breakfast. Let me tell you what happened. It was a delightful early spring day, and I was taking my constitutional through the village with, of course, a plan for a quick detour to the common room at the inn. Well, I'm hardly going to pass by without taking something warm to fortify my blood, am I? Boris had the inn whitewashed over the weekend. He's the landlord, by the way, and he's a pretty tough old polar bear. No one messes with Boris. Because he had caused trouble so often, Brontus had been told to do the actual work in payment for the latest damage he caused. I believe it was a wooden chair whose leg was not even, and the minotaur helpfully tried to repair the imbalance with his axe. The chair ended up being about four inches tall. I did, for my part, warn Boris that this might not be a particularly inspired idea, but Boris had one of his familiar manic looks on his face, and I thought it prudent not to labour the point too much. Anyway, he assured me that whitewash was easy to remove from window glass, so what damage could the bull do? <sighs> what damage indeed! I walked around the outside before I went in, and checked the workmanship. I consider it my duty, don't you know? I mean, I can hardly compliment the fine work if I haven't inspected it fully. It wasn't half as bad as I had feared. There was puddles of dried paint on the ground and on the grass, I expected that, and there was splots of paint on the underside of the thatched roof, I expected that too. Most impressively, there was a decent layer of paint on the actual walls, and only the occasional blot on the thick glass of the windows and doors. Out the back, a broken scaffold and a huge blotch of white paint in the yard was evidence of the only major boo-boo, but you couldn't see that from the front anyway. Boris must have been pleased. Brontes seemed to have done a reasonable job for once. Feeling pleased that my bovine friend had finally found his forte, I went in, hoping that the Minotaur was inside having his lunch, so I could congratulate him on a job well done. After I hung my coat on the hook that's always left for me, I pushed open the door of the common room and gave my usual greeting. God bless all here except the cat and the dog, and gaped over to the corner in complete and total amazement and astonishment. Brontes was there, in his usual place, a bowl of grain mash before him. He was pushing it around with his wooden spoon, his head propped up on the knuckles of one hand, and a very unpleasant scowly look on his wide face. I managed to run out the door before my guffaws burst from me, and as old as I am, running out through doorways is not a thing I believe I should do too often. I gulped down air and tried to wipe the tears from my eyes, then, as brave as any of my illustrious Valpine forewares going into battle in the wars of long ago, 
I pushed open the door and walked up to the thundercloud under which sat the bad-tempered bull. Oh, good day, Brontes, I said, my lip quivering. Behind the bar, Boris stood wiping a glass and grinning mightily. I focused my attention on Brontes, as I knew eye contact with Boris could make me burst and break the spell of normality. I tried to hold control over myself by repeating, everything is fine, everything is fine, over and over in my head. Everything was fine. Normal. Nice. Fine. I, uh, I, I see you were painting. He looked up at me with a mixture of resignation and sullenness. Behind the counter, Boris doubled over and snorted a series of laughs that would be more suited to a hyena than a polar bear. The edges of my mouth quivered upwards. I had to blink rapidly to clear my vision as my eyes were watering up from the effort of holding myself in. Brontes is a tariff. That's a kind of minotaur that comes from the far north. For clothing, he wears a loincloth and a big leather harness that holds his axe, and he doesn't give a fig about being out in bad weather. He's big and stocky and very powerful. His fur is quite unlike mine. He calls it his pelt. We foxes have nice, soft, plush fur, and I'm very proud of my brush. Brontus's pelt is more like hair than fur, being wiry and short, except around his shoulders and the top of his head, where it's longer and somewhat curly. It's black too, jet black, like his eight-ball eyes and pointy horns. It's a darkness that usually gives him a brooding, malevolent presence. Usually. Except this time. His horns, his snout, his face, his chest, his arms, most of his harness, even some of his loincloth, it was all covered in whitewash. He looked like one million pigeons had dive-bombed him at random. Oh, God, he was a sight. I lost control, and I had to dash for the front door again, shouting that I forgot my umbrella. Outside, I fell to my knees and laughed until I cried. Oh, dear God, now it became clear the broken scaffold and the big area of white paint out back, and I'll bet it doesn't come off so easily from his pelt. It took me a few minutes to get myself collected, and I managed to get a painful stitch in my side from my merriment. As I took a couple of deep breaths, I noticed a stranger with the map in his hands was looking down at me with a worried look on his face. I straightened up with difficulty and smiled politely at the newcomer as he asked me if I was quite all right. "'Believe me, I'm well, and thank you for your concern. How can I help you?' The stranger was an otter with a flat cap on his head, some very bright slacks, and a zippered jacket. The moment he opened his mouth, I knew he was a lost tourist. "'Say, buddy, I'm looking for the historic castle remains.' I swear I could hear him capitalize the words. "'You wouldn't know if they's hereabouts, would you?' I grinned in as friendly a manner as I could muster and wiped the last tears from my eyes. Our ruined castle was our village's main attraction and occasionally brought tourists from all over the world. I noticed the otter had lovely, newly shined, patent leather shoes on his feet and thought about warning him about the muddy cart track to the castle, but he'd find that out all by himself soon enough. I prefer hobnailed boots myself. Oh, right. I said, pointing to the east of the square. The castle is about five minutes' walk up that laneway. There's a signpost at the stile you need to cross, and it's at the top of the clover field. You can't miss it. Ah, good on you, buddy, he replied enthusiastically as he looked in the opposite direction. It crossed my mind that someone from a distant land just might not know what a stile is, but as he didn't ask, I didn't expand on it. Say, is this a pub? I nodded. 
Boris would love to hear his beloved inn being described as a mere pub, but it's not my place to correct others all the time. The tourist looked delighted and pulled out his camera. Say, buddy, can I get a photo of a native outside the pub? I had a vague vision of this guy and his fat otterish wife showing the photos of this trip to their fat polyester-clad friends in a huge pink and blue living room with a projector and the screen like you see in the style magazines the ladies read in the hairdressers. Oh, now don't look at me like that. The barber shop is right next door and they mix up the magazines sometimes. Ladies' magazines are terrifying. It's all about murders and spousal abuse and how to make delicious meals from offal. He'd press the button, and the moats in the room would be lit by an image of our fine inn. I'd be there, all red and grey fur, with my crooked-fanged smile, the pipe hanging from my lips, and he'd announce that this was one of the natives, and wow, don't they sure look awesome, and so old and not like us, and my grandpappy would have looked like him if he was a fox and not an otter. Oh, boy. I stood and let the otter make a couple of kodachromes of me, standing outside the freshly whitewashed inn, posing like I was to be on the front cover of the National Geographic. Then, without so much as a thank you or a coin or two for my time, he bounced into the porch and through to the common room. Uh, tourists. Can't live with them, as the old saying goes. Can't bury them in the bog. Well, actually you can, but our local sergeant doesn't like the extra paperwork, so it's frowned upon. I jest. We love our tourists. Do come visit. I lit my pipe and took a long draw. I don't smoke much, and I don't really like it, but the scent of the tobacco reminds me of my grandfather and brings back fond memories. A hot toddy would bring back even more, I realized, as I knocked the contents of the pipe bowl against the heel of my boot. Hitching up my pants, I headed once more into the common room, bracing myself not to laugh at Brontes's new look. The atmosphere inside the common room had soured. Boris was standing by the bar hatch, looking concerned. The others that had been there had made themselves scarce and disappeared out to the toilets outside, or I assume so, as they hadn't passed me by, and it took no effort at all to realise what had to be the cause. A hint. He's always the cause. The tourist was rabbiting out about how cute Brontes looked, how unique he was, how few minotaurs are back home, and how rare a speckled bull is in his state. At one point he even said our favourite bovine looked like a panda, and I then took a subconscious step backwards. The otter clicked away on his camera almost as fast as his words flew from his lips. Blissfully unaware of the volcanic eruption rumbling to life before him, he pulled the table and his lunch bowl away from the tariff and spilled some of his meal onto the floor. Say, can you stand up, bull? I can't see the rest of you. Brontes gave that familiar look that translates roughly as, Lo, I shall fetch my sacred weapon of war, then verily shall I smite thee many times until thou art deceased and join with thy god. So I can quote from the good books. I can do many interesting things despite my advanced years, like judging when to run away. Boris reached under the counter and slowly pulled out his baseball bat. Peculiar, that. Here we had an otter goading a minotaur from Toria while a polar bear that wouldn't know a baseball if he ate one was about to grab a bit of equipment that only the tourist would recognise for what it really was. My head began to swim. "'Mr. Otter, you want to go to the castle? Go now!' I hissed, putting a hand on the tourist's shoulder. 
He shucked it off without looking at me and continued clicking his camera. Nah, buddy, I want to take pics of this spotty cow. Gee, I never knew you guys had cows here, too. Brontes pushed the table farther and reached behind him for his axe, which he pulled from his harness with a very cold and deliberate stare. I backed away rapidly. This was not a look I felt any of my soft words could temper. The tariff spoke, his voice chilling and as menacing as anything I have ever heard in my entire life. Otter, I shall count to twenty. Then I shall come after you with this axe and I shall slaughter you slowly and drink your blood. One, two, three. The tourist camera slowly moved down from his face and his jaw hung open. He blanched as he moved his shocked stare from Brontus's paint-spattered black-and-white horns past his black-and-white snout to his black-and-white paint-covered hands and his pristine, gleaming, viciously sharp silver axe. Eight. Nine. A heartbeat later, the otter screamed and ran for the doors. He crashed through them and they slammed shut behind them. His terror-filled roars echoed outside as he headed for his bus, screaming at his fellows to run away and hide. Nineteen, twenty. Brontes hefted his weapon, straightened his loincloth, then stomped out past the doors and headed across the square. I was horrified, believing that the Minotaur was going to do something awful and get into a level of trouble that was far worse than anything he had ever managed before. I looked helplessly at Boris, hoping the polar bear would come up with something that would stave off the inevitable, such as whacking the bull over his thick skull with a baseball bat, but instead he was standing motionless at the bar with a slack-jawed expression of astonishment all over his white-furred face. "'Boris, what's wrong with you? He's going to kill that tourist! You have to try and stop him!' "'I can't,' Boris replied, staring blankly at the still-swinging door. "'I'm in shock!' "'What? That Boris is going to kill someone?' "'No, no! I don't believe what I just heard. He can count?' This was At the Inn, Whitewash, by Matassus, read for you by Kaki, your faithful fireside companion. For more stories, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts or on the web at thevoice.dog. Thank you for listening to The Voice of Dog.